If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm chapter 4. And uh, we probably won't finish the book of Psalms tonight, but we might get close. Psalm 4, as we, uh, as we just look to see what it is that the Lord has for us. Psalm 4 is uh, one of the Psalms of exile, often uh, uh, sung during the time of exile. It is a Psalm of David. Um, so here's what David wrote. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. In the first verse, what we see from David is a personal relationship with a holy God. Hear my prayer. Relieve me in my distress. The point is that as David is calling on the name of the Lord in, in Psalm 4, he's, he's expressing a personal relationship with a holy God. It's not a new concept or a concept that we find only in the church. It's something that the people of God had in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament all the way through. The concept that God was a personal God. Did God have a plan for the nation of Israel? Sure. Did He have a a plan personally for the life of David? Yeah. Did He have a a plan personally for the lives of, of all who would call on His name? Absolutely He does. Absolutely He does. He says, hear me when I call. This, this concept. You have relieved me in my distress. Literally in, in the, in this pressure, in this, uh, like the, the idea of a pressure cooker being under hard, in, intense pressure. I can imagine for David in times of being a king, whether he wrote this during the years when he was king or he wrote this during the years he lived in a cave. Doesn't matter, right? The pressure is still the pressure. Whether you are high on the, on the ladder of success or low. One thing both have in common is there will be times of intense pressure. Maybe caused by different things. But nonetheless, the pressure. And what's David saying? He's saying, you have relieved me. In James, the scripture tells us to cast our care on the Lord. Because He cares for us. The, the, the idea that God wants us to lay our pressure... Down at his feet. David's telling us about that. You have relieved me. You, you took the lid off the top of the pressure cooker. You know, let that steam out. And you relieved that time. So David, speaking of this concept, moving from a place of distress to a place of peace and stillness. In verse 2 he says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood he's he's talking about the the false promises lies and the slander of his enemies one of the things david's going to bring up over and over again through the psalms is a condemnation of the concept that we'll we we tend to want to use a nice word on it so we put slander on it let's put a word we understand gossip people were talking trash about david when he was king, when he was in the caves, when he wherever he was, it doesn't make any difference. You pick David, any time during his life, somebody was trash talking him. His brothers telling him he's worthless. When the prophet came to his house, that was a big deal. The prophet came to his house, his dad didn't even invite him to come. He left him out with the sheep. So it was not highly thought of. <laughs> a 
among family and peers. And there was always this struggle of people um, talking. We, we do that a lot in the church, and we paint weird pictures on it. Like, we try to spiritualize our gossip. Yeah. Close that flap at the end of our face, and open the two holes on the sides. The Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to anger. We want to hear. We want to learn to be compassionate. We do not want to talk trash. And while we're being quick to listen, the Bible says not to give ear to a talebearer. So when people are talking trash or gossiping and we are listening, we are adding fuel to the fire. The Bible says don't do that. David says, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to, are you going to keep talking trash, spreading lies, making false promises? It's the same old stuff, though he may be experiencing it as a, as a king or as a leader of an army or wherever David might find himself. It's still the same things. He's, he's crying out to God, who is his, the key to his righteousness. Oh God, my righteousness. He's crying out to God who is the reliever of his distress or the pressure. He's crying out to God for mercy that God would hear him. And the issue, the struggle, the pain, the hurt is the, the fact that the, the sons of men are turning his glory to shame. In other words, they're saying, ta- telling stories or things about him that, uh, that aren't true, that are painting him in a bad light. They are, uh, in love with worthlessness or emptiness, and they are seeking falsehood or lies. It's about the, the attitude of people toward him that's got David depressed, distressed, bummed. And so he calls out to the Lord. He says in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Now, I want you to think about it. David's talking. And there's this uh, kind of an incredible concept that David shows us throughout um, uh, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, the life of, of David in, in the Psalms. This idea of, of unwillingness to strike God's anointed. To not be the guy who's in charge of taking... David was anointed king probably in his teens. Saul is king at the time, but God, through the prophet Samuel, said, David, you're my guy. But David never once went to get the job himself. He just waited. He said, if God has anointed me king, then God will make me king. He served Saul. A bad king. He served him. Saul threw spears at him. The Bible never says David grabbed that spear, turned around, chucked it back. And I guarantee you, David was better at throwing them than Saul was at ducking them. But he didn't ever take it into his own hands to touch God's anointed. He said, David said, God made Saul king. God will make Saul not king. I don't have to do it. He wasn't up into self-promotion. So what he says to the people here in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. That God had, God had made David holy. David's not holy because something special about David. God made David special. God set him apart. God made David his anointed. No matter what happened, 
David was his anointed. And he becomes the title for which we're going to know Messiah from that point forward. Because David was an example of a man after God's own heart. So, so he says, know this to the enemies, the people who are telling lies, the people who are throwing spears at him. Maybe he's king now. And they're talking about what a lousy king he is. And he's got too many wives. And he doesn't, he doesn't, Deal with his kids like he ought to. And his kids are bad kids. They're bad in school. Or they did this wrong. Or they did that wrong. And they're talking their trash. And David said, don't you know? God set me apart. I'm not set apart. I'm not king because there's something special. Like there's... I'm, I'm somehow holier. And what we have a tendency of doing as people is spending all our time pointing out the problems in our leaders. Which... I, Anybody else guilty besides me of doing that? I do that. Uh, pointing out the problems in our leaders, pointing out the problems in, in this policy or that policy or this politic or that politic. And all that pointing out into the world does is keep me from considering my issues. Yeah, that's dumb and that's lame and that's wrong. And all the while I'm doing that, I'm not thinking I'm broken. And God, I need you to fix me. I need you to, to work in my life. And so David says, No, the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. And then he has this word of faith. And the Lord will hear when I call him. God hears me. It's an expression of faith. And you, if you look throughout the Psalms, remember, we'll, we'll, we'll point this out often as we go through the capital L-O-R-D. is using God's proper name. Capital L-O-R-D is God's name. It is the becoming one, the Yahweh, Yahweh, whatever you want to call it, Yehovah. Um, the idea that he's using God's proper name, which literally means to become, or I am the becoming one, or I am, right? Jesus uses that several times in the Gospel of John to declare, I am eternal God. And so he's using that name, a personal name that David knows of God, his relationship for him, and the faith that he says, God has set me apart. I guarantee you, if you said to David, when he was a, a teenager, he came to David and said, Hey, David, you want to be king? He'd say, No. I'm fine out here with the sheep. Are you kidding? I go out, uh, king, he, he's got headaches and hassles. All I got, I hang out here every once in a while, a bear comes by or a lion comes by, and I just whoop them and take care of the sheep. That's all I got to do, man. This is good life. It's good living. But God had other plans. And David, knowing God has a plan and a purpose for me, then God will hear my prayer. Now, is that different for you? Is he somehow special? Does God hear your prayer? Is that somehow different for him if your life experience to date is not exactly what you wanted? God has a purpose, a plan, a reason. He's working, he's moving. And he wants you to know, just like David knew, he hears you. Well, God hears me, he's not doing anything. Yet God delays for the purpose of maturity. Kind of like I delay when my kids call. Dad, I can't, will you tie my shoe? No, you don't have to tie your shoe, tie your shoe. But I don't want to tie my shoe, I'm tired, my fingers are cold, I don't know. Well, walk with your shoe loose. Oh, Dad doesn't love me. If he loved me, he'd do everything for me. He'd take away all these aches and pains and problems. No. The Bible says if, if your parents love you, they'll train you up. 
God loves you. He don't make everything go away. Sometimes he does. But sometimes the purpose is your growth. Sometimes the point is you getting the muscles in your legs to be able to stand. So he makes you so weak that you feel like you can't. It ain't no different than when you were playing sports when you was a kid. You went in the weight room and the coach wore you out so you could barely walk out of that place. Why? To destroy you and make you stronger. And that's what, that's what God is doing. So listen, David declares, he's calling out, he says, be angry and do not sin. He said, does that sound familiar? It comes out of Ephesians too. In Ephesians, Paul quotes this, and he's talking about the relationships between people. And his anger is not a sin. Being angry is not a sin. He said, be angry. If you're angry, be angry. But don't sin. What is sin? The loss of self-control. I can be angry. Something can bother me. Something can upset me. What I do about it then becomes whether or not I enter into a place of sin. He says, be angry and do not sin. What's he tell you to do? Meditate within your heart on your bed. And then here's the hard part. And be still. He's going to say later on in the Psalms, be still and know what? I am God. I'm angry and God smite them, knock their teeth out. You're going to hear David say that sometimes, aren't you? Get them, get the bad guys, and I'm the good guys, Lord, and, and go get them. But David says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate on your bed and be still. Who is in control? God is. Does God know about the gospers and the backbiters and all that stuff? Yep. Does God Is God able to take care of it? Yes. Does he need your help? Not really. What he needs is you to meditate on the fact that he has you in his hands. And be still and know. I got this. Yeah, God, I'd like you to take care of it now. Ah, sorry, brother. Tie your shoe. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you grow. You're going to be stronger for it. But I have you. I'm with you. He says in verse 5, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. What's the sacrifice of righteousness? Offer that. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Then he describes it. Put your trust in the Lord. What can you do to please God? Sacrifice bulls and goats. Is that what God's looking for? What's he say? He says that without faith is impossible to please God. So here the psalmist says it this way. Put your trust in the Lord. Trust Him. It's hard. I'm sorry. The, here, let me give you the short, quick point of Psalms. Life is hard. God is good. Put your trust in Him. Trust Him. You know, he may, he may call you like Pastor Saeed to prison and torture every day. But most of you are here, so you're not there. Put your trust in him. You think Pastor Saeed would say anything different to you? Trust in the Lord. He's got this. Whatever he calls you to, he will give the strength to endure. The strength to overcome. The strength to be who you need to be. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? 
See, some people cry out for good things. God, make my life good, easy, happy, smooth, downhill both ways. Some people ask for good things. They say, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. But listen to what David says. But you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Look, David is saying, I mean, I don't want to say I don't want good things. David wants good things. But more than he wants good things, he wants God. God is his good thing. It's his treasure. It's his goal. And so he says, when they were getting all their good things, I was, I was happy in my heart. Why was he happy in his heart? Because his cry was for God. When he, I want you. God's things are good things. And they're given to be enjoyed. Nothing wrong with having good things from God. Unless it's the good things that becomes the goal. And not the God who gives them. It's all about the God who gives the good things. And so David is, is saying, I, I got these problems, I got these issues, I know God hears me. I, I'm going to meditate and put my trust in God. And I'm not just going to ask for good things. I want Him. I want the Lord. So he says, what's the, the culmination of that? Crying for the Lord. These people are saying bad things. I'm having a hard time focusing God because of what people are saying and doing. But in verse 8, as he makes God his treasure, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That the peace in the storm is Jesus Christ. It's not the words, peace be still. The peace in the storm is the fact that Jesus is with you. Then we have peace. You alone, O oh God, make me to dwell in peace and safety. And we come to Psalm 5, another <clears throat> Psalm of David. David in Psalm 5 begins, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. These should sound familiar. There's a lot of songs that in fact there's one that we sang tonight that's out of the section prayerfully that we'll get to. But he's saying when he says, Give ear to my words, that sounds nice, right? Very poetic. But literally what he's saying is, Hear my desperate cry. Hear my desperate cry. When David is saying, Hear my cry, O Lord, it's it is literally that. He's weeping out for God. Reaching out. You ever been in such depression, despair, despondency that your cry out to God is just a groan? That's kind of what David's talking about here. But here's what we do in the church. We pretend that we don't ever get in those things. Oh, I'm not depressed. I don't struggle in that. That's for other people. Those people who don't trust in the Lord. Yeah, I get depressed. Sometimes I want to quit. Sometimes I think, I, I, I feel like, and I know none of you guys saw The Matrix, because that's a bad movie, but I feel like I took the wrong pill. Oh, man. I just want to take the other pill and go back. But there's no going back. Now, what does God want us to do when we feel that way? Just pretend you don't? Does that make you feel better? 
You know, God, I, I'm just going to pretend I don't feel this way. I'm going to fake it till I make it. Yeah. Save yourself the frustration. Do it this way. Make your desperate cry to God. Give ear to my words. Hear my desperate cry. Hear my desperate cry. Consider my meditation, my struggle, this thing that's inside of me that I can't, I can't get rid of it. I, it just keeps coming up again. You guys ever have one of those? Issues that just churn back up? If you haven't become a parent, then you will. And they all have names. And they sometimes come one right after the other, right after the other. There are these things, these issues, these meditations. Give heed to the voice of my cry. You hear them crying out, right? It's important that we hear the, 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 the desperation, I guess, in the, in the voice of David. Hear, hear my cry. Again, personal relationship. My king, my God. Not your king, your God. And one of the things that's so depressing to me when I go through First, um, Second Samuel, Kings, we talk about all the different kings during the, the history of the nation of Israel, which we, we just done in the last, whatever, year and a half or a couple of years, when we worked all our way through that. You remember how many times that people would say, well, well, let's call the prophet and have him call out on his God. Man, that's depressing. That's depressing. Of course, the prophet will call on his God, but how much better would it be if that God was your God? This is what David's saying. I'm my king, my God. Not my dad's God, not the preacher's God, not the youth pastor's God, my God. My king. I call out on him, for to you I will pray. It's personal. Who's he talking to? We are, it's like reading the journal of a, of a man who struggles in his life with his relationship with God and with sin and with being real and who he really is and his transparency in his journal and we get to read it. That's the Psalms. It's, it's, it's his journal. Man, I, to you I pray. To you I, it's not everybody else. It's not going to someone else. It's not that we, that we can't. We can. But, but he's going to the Lord, my God, my King, to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning. So what's he saying? Man, the first thing I'm going to do in the morning is cry out to you because I need you. You hear the treasure of uh, the, the, the way that David treasured his relationship with God. He shames me. Man, in the morning, in the morning, when I get up, man, you're going to hear me because I'm... Bef- Pull off them covers and the first thing I'm going to do is call on the name of my God and my King. I need you. I need you today. I need you to be with me. I need you to hear me in the morning. I will direct it to you. And then listen to this. And I will look up. That means not only is he is he as soon as he gets up in the morning he's got this heaviness this 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 desperate cry and he's laying it out for the God you're going to hear me Lord and I'm going to call on you in the morning and then I'm going to look to you because you're going to answer me. That's usually the part that's missing in our prayer life. We don't really think God's going to answer us. It's just something we do. It's a ritual. But David said, not only will I call on your name in the morning, but I'm going to lift my head. 
What's that? I'm looking to him. What, where, where? Answer me. He's expecting God's direction. You know, when we read the book of Job, remember when we went through the book of Job, one of the struggles that Job had is he was used to God responding to him in his prayers. So when he'd pray and God wouldn't respond to him, then, then he was like, what's going on? Is that how our prayer life is? That we're so used to our prayers, communing with God and feeling a response from Him and direction from Him that when He doesn't do it, we're shocked? Or is it the other way? That's not normal. We get satisfied, we tell ourselves, well, that's normal. It's normal that, that God doesn't speak to us. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to hear the voice of God, but hopefully you guys understand what I mean. Neither did David. He cried out to God and he, he felt the response. He acknowledged God moving and working in his life. God directing his choices. He trusted and believed and hoped and, and all those things. And so it was a sweet time of communion between David and God. It wasn't a, got to punch the card. You know, I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray every day. And it wasn't, it wasn't just doing that, punching the card. It was looking up to receive, to understand, to recognize, providing my morning sacrifice to God, and I'm expect, with expectancy to receive from Him. Look at verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Oh, man, we gotta, we gotta get that. God is not a God who takes pleasure in our sin. Sometimes we do this thing where we think, oh, well, God wants me to be happy. I don't totally disagree with that. But he don't want you to be happy in your sin. Never. Ever. God is not happy. He does not take pleasure in wickedness. The scripture goes on to tell us, evil cannot dwell with him. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You ever said the phrase, God loves the sinner but hates the sin? Did you read what we just read? What's it say? God hates all the workers of iniquity. Wait a minute, that messes with my theology. You might want to adjust your theology. We have a light view of sin today. Uh, we have a sloppy agape. We have a cheap grace. And so we lighten God's view of, of sin and sinners. So are you saying God's not a God of love? Absolutely God's a God of love. He loves you so much He provided a way so that, so that you didn't have to stay in that. Don't you understand? It, may, it only makes the sacrifice of God greater. You mean He died for what he hated? Huh? That's why the Bible says, God so loved the world. But he hates the workers of iniquity. So he provided a way. He gave a way. So that we didn't have to stay in our sin. We didn't have to stay in that place anymore. He says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. Do you ever think about that? The Bible says God will destroy those who lie. Anybody done that today? Do you believe God will destroy him who lies? Oh, you don't believe it. If you believed it, you you wouldn't have done it. 
right? Do you believe what you believe is really real? It says God will destroy those who speak falsehood, those who lie. For the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God doesn't love sin. And God doesn't love in the sense we think of it, the sinner. He will judge and destroy and tear down. But he loves in the sense of God. The love of God, remember, here's the definition of the love of God, to sacrifice everything for the sake of the one who is loved. It's not our definition. Our definition of love is kind of sometimes a a cosmic hug. It's going to be okay. God's definition of love is to give all for the sake of the one whom you love. Not that they're worthy. Not that they've done anything to make them worthy. So that's God's definition. That's what love is. So when it says God so loved the world, literally it means God sacrificed himself wholly. For those who didn't deserve the sacrifice. And that's the definition. You guys get what I'm saying? So he, in that sense, yeah, God loves the sinner. He died for them. But it's not a a cosmic, it's okay. Live how you want. Do what you want. Be who you want. No, that's disrespectful of the gift that God gave. Right? To receive from God this sacrifice of everything for the one who is loved, so that the one who is loved can have a relationship with God and then to continue to live in sin. Paul said it this way, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Sin is as far in the opposite direction of God as you can go. And having a, a a, a proper view of the despicableness of sin helps us not sit in it and say, oh, this is no big deal. Right? It's no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Seeing it the way God sees it. Now, in verse 7, he gives us this, this word, but. But! This word of great contrast. As for me. As for me. Understanding these things about God. How God sees sin. How much God hates sin. As for me. I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. Oh, now that God has for everyone. Right? If God didn't have mercy, we'd all be cinder ash already. According to the Lamentations 3, 23, it's by your mercies that we are not consumed. Great is your faithfulness. It's, it's God's mercy. So, so, so David says, as for me, yeah, I know. I, I do those things. And I'm a sinner. And, and sometimes I do those things I hate. So I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to throw myself on your mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Not a pretender. A sinner. Honest. Real. Don't want to live in that. Don't want to be that person. I want to be in your house. I want to be like you want me to be. So he says, in fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. What's the purpose of your life? To move in a direction toward God and holiness or to justify your sin? 
David's saying, in fear I will worship toward your holy temple. I'm headed toward you, God. He says, toward, I'm not there, I'm not perfect, nor will we ever be. But, But you're not headed in the right direction if you're not moving that way, right? Be holy as I am holy, isn't that what the word says? Be separate, come unto me. Be perfect as I am perfect. Those are all things that God said. God's commandments are His enablements. If He asks us to do something, He will empower us to do it. The choice is ours, right? Do I want to go that way? Or do I want to sit here in my sin on the pile of this, this, we talked about, right? Being in the feedlot with all the cows and the guy on the pile of poop is the king of the hill. And that's how some people live in this world. I'm just happy to be the king of the hill. I don't want to be the king of the hill. I want to move toward his holy temple. I want to be moving toward him. So listen to what he says. So lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Lead me in whose righteousness? His. It's God's righteousness at David's time. It's God's righteousness today. So you lead me, God. You lead me. I'll follow you. What did Jesus say? Come what? Follow me. So come follow me. So Lord, lead me and I'll follow you. I'm headed in your direction. I'm moving your way toward holiness. I'm not perfect. I will fail. I will struggle, but your mercies are new every morning, right? So I'm going to cling to your mercy. I'm going to, I'm going to hold to the gift of the gospel, your love that you sacrificed all for me. I'm following you. I'm clinging to you. I'm holding to you, moving toward holiness. It's your righteousness that you're working in my life. Because of my enemies. What do the enemies want? Your failure. Is there a real enemy in your life? Paul would say it this way. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But what? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, present evil age. The idea that there is really an enemy of your soul. An accuser of the brethren. There is a, an enemy, and that enemy wants my failure. So I can't just sit still and hope things get better. i got to say, lead me, Lord, and I will follow you. And I will follow you according to your righteousness. You make me righteous. And, and it's leading me away from the power of my enemies to work, to move, to, to, to gain victory. So lead me. Make your way straight before my face. Do you know that God does that? Make your way straight. God don't make it hard. In terms of hard to know what to do. Sometimes it's hard for us to choose to do what God wants us to do, but, but it's not hard to know what it is. Does God want you to live together before you get married? Is that hard to know? Does God want you to, to, uh, be sexually, live a sexually immoral life? No, that's not hard to know. Does God want you to lie? No, God doesn't want me. Is that hard to know? No. The way is straight. The decision to walk it, however, that's not always so easy, right? Sometimes the decision to walk it is the hard part. Make your way straight. Another way, another word, show me the way plain. Not a lot of twists and turns. There's not a lot of twists and turns in the Christian faith. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Get on the road, follow Jesus, head towards holiness, grab a hold of Him with all you have. It's not a hard concept to understand. It's just sometimes hard to have the desire to do, to follow. This is what David says. 
For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, and their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb, and they flatter with their tongue. He's describing the, the designs of the heart. He's talking about his enemies. And a lot of times we talk about the devil and we talk about, you know, or people or spiritual deals. Let's make it easy and honest. Your greatest enemy is with you every day when you wake up and first person you see when you look in the mirror. I look in that mirror and I know the thoughts in my head and the words in my mouth and the attitude of my heart I can cover all that stuff up but I know it's there and if I don't deal with that enemy man I'm not going to make it very far that enemy the flesh is constantly at battle with the spirit isn't it that that battle that's taking place that battle for Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man you ever thought about that because you'll hear teachers often say this. Garbage in, garbage out. Jesus would say, bunk. It's not garbage in that brought garbage out. It's backwards. Out of the heart comes wicked things, right? Because the heart is wicked and deceitful. That's what Jeremiah told us, right? So before we can see something good come out of us, we got to have something good where? In our heart. How do we get something good in our heart? Well, we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. We commit our life to Him. He enters into our life. And now our heart has the ability through the indwelling of Jesus Christ to see something good come out of it. You guys get what I mean? We look at people and we say, oh, the reason that person's struggling is because of the books they read. And the shows they watch and the things they do. And, and there's some truth in that, right? There's a measure of truth to that. But the reality is the reason that person reads and watches and does those things is because their heart's already wicked. And it has a desire for wicked things. So we put Jesus Christ in the heart. That's the most important part, isn't it? Once Jesus is in the heart, those other things will go. Won't they? Jesus is on the throne, and that desire for, for holiness is in the, the life, a desire for change taking place in people's lives. Man, it's not the list of do's and don'ts. The church has had that forever. I know a lot of people who never drink, never smoked, never done things that most people would look at as wrong that are going to hell just as bad as the dude that is full out, sold out to crack, dealing, doing you know, business with the devil. Lost is lost, man. Pretty and lost or ugly and lost is lost. Destination's the same. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we want to have Jesus Christ. It's so important, so vital, and that's what he has. So when he's, when he's reading this, I know he's talking about real enemies, okay? David's talking about real enemies, real guys who are lying and doing stuff with him. But as I look at it, to me, that's my enemy. That's where my battle is, is with me. It's with my flesh. 
So pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out of the multitude of their transgressions. For, for they have rebelled against you. Man, a first step for me to, to the cleansing power of uh, the Spirit of God is confession. I am broke. Jesus makes me whole. I'm guilty. Man, if we can't do that, if we can't look in the mirror and say, you know what, I am a despicable. Without Jesus, I'm utterly lost. We got to be real, honest, truthful about the enemies that we have. Now, again, he uses the word, but big trans transition, okay? Transition. I called on your mercy, but there's these issues in me. Big transition. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. I still think that's God's desire in your life. I still think it's God's desire in your life for you to experience true, lasting, real joy. But until God is on the throne, you can't. Until Jesus Christ is your prize. Because you know you're His. And you think if you're God, and all the stuff you can have, that He would say, you're my portion forever? That word portion is like my inheritance. You're my prize. You're my treasure. When, when God is our treasure, then we will experience true and lasting joy. When our treasure is a woman or a man or a drug or a high or a, something that glitters or something shiny, as long as those things are our prize, life's empty. And we call out on God and we say, Oh God, why? Why do I feel this way? And all the while God's saying, Man, you're looking for all the wrong stuff. He says, Let them who trust in you, let those who trust in you, let them ever rejoice. Let those rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you're their defender. Let those who love your name be joyful. How many ways could he say the joy is in the Lord? Uh, There's three different ways right there. It's not our circumstances or our things. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's all about him. But you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him with a shield. God protects his own. Doesn't mean life won't be hard. This means God's with you. Is God with you in the dark? His psalmist is going to declare in a little while, you know, maybe we'll get to it next week, in like 103. Is that right? Psalm 103? What's the psalm that says, uh, if I make my bed in hell, though I dwell in the midst of the sea and on top of the mountain and in the desert and, and through the woods to grandmother's house we go, no matter where I go, God is with me everywhere I go. I want to say it's 103, but I could be wrong. 
But the idea is, is no matter where, God is with us. He will not forsake us. Psalm 6. He says, O Lord, again, a Psalm of David, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, but have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. This is what is called a penitential psalm. There are seven of them out of the 150 psalm. A penitential psalm is a psalm of repentance. Forgive me, psalm. It begins in despair and crying out for God's forgiveness. And it always ends with a statement of faith that God has and is delivering. Do not rebuke me in your anger or chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Do you guys know what real healing is? Do you know the difference between being cured and being healed? I don't think we do. Demonstrated this way. There were, one day Jesus ran into ten lepers. You guys remember? And Jesus told the ten lepers to go present themselves to the priests. And they turned and as they went, they were cured. The Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Nine went their way. One came back. Jesus said to that one something he didn't say to the other nine. The one came back and was thankful and grateful. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Healing is being made whole. You can be cured of a lot of stuff. But I guarantee every one of us is going to get to God one of two ways. Rapture, yay! Or dying, oh boo. One of them too, guaranteed. And so far it's been perfect, almost. Every soul who has born has died. At the end of time, there'll be one guy who can say, maybe, there'll be one guy who can say, I didn't die. Who? Right now you're thinking there's two of them, aren't you? Ah, but one of them two is going to die, isn't he? Elijah's still going to die. The Bible says Elijah's going to come back as one of the two witnesses. The Antichrist is going to kill him. He's going to lay in the street dead for three days. And then God's going to raise him from the dead. So Elijah's going to die. He just hadn't done it yet. Who's the other one? Enoch. Enoch. Now, that's why some people say, well, Enoch's got to be the other witness. And we'll save that argument for another day. But for the most part, everybody gets to God. We're going to die. So you're going to die of something. Sooner or later, you're not going to get cured of something. Right? But every single one of us can be healed. Because the word healed means to be made whole. You are broken, and He makes us whole. whole. Wholeness has nothing to do with illness. Wholeness has to do with our standing, our place in God. David is crying, Lord, you're my healer. You're the one who makes me whole, complete. You're the one who knows where all the pieces are, how to put it all together. He says, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord. (laughs) How long? You ever ask that question? Lord, forgive me and don't be mad and don't judge me, God. I know what I've done is wrong, but God, I come to you. I need you to be my healer. How long is it going to be like this, God? Until it's not. 
right next to how long I have written, all God's delays are His maturings. All God's delays are Him making you stronger. No shortcut to that. How long, O God? Just as long as is needed. Not a minute longer. Not a minute less. Cling to Him. He says in verse 4, Return, O Lord, and deliver me. He cries out for deliverance. Save me for Your mercy's sake. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That man went from that place justified. Remember? Jesus said, two guys went down to pray. The Pharisee said, God, thank you that I'm not like that dirtbag. And I'm not a sinner, tax collector. I'm not a woman. I'm not a dog. Thank you. I'm such a good guy. And the other guy, the tax collector, beat his breast and said what? Have mercy on me. Which one left justified? The one who cried for mercy. Not the one who pretended to be holy. The one who cried for mercy. According to your mercy, deliver me. He's, and then he says, why? Because in death there's no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you praise? Now some people use that to be a proof text for to be an annihilist. An annihilist means that someone who believes that if you're not saved and you die, you cease to exist. There's no remembrance of you in the grave. But that's not what it's talking about. He's talking about if I'm dead, I can't praise you. Is there anybody in hell praising God? No. There's nobody in hell right now. But there will be. And there won't be a lot of praise going on. He's saying there's there's not going to be the voice of praise. But if you save me, if I live, I I can praise you. I'm going to be able to, to, to tell everyone what a great God you are. And how you've delivered me. And how you saved me from death. And then he describes his depression. And I think it's important that we don't pretend these things don't exist. This is David, a man after God's own heart. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. All his worries, all his despair, all his depression, all his tears. Man after God's own heart. Yeah, it's real. The human condition is real condition. We struggle with stuff, right? It's okay. It's okay. We, we, we have depression and we have worry and we have anxiety. That's real condition. Pretending it doesn't exist does not make it go away. But what does make it go away? Doing what God said. What, do we, what does worry and anxiety add to us? Nothing. So what does he say? Instead of worry, do what? Pray. Always. With prayer and supplications. Make your requests known. With thanksgiving to God. He says, instead of worry, pray. Instead of worry, pray. So David saying, man, I've been on my bed worrying and crying and weeping. And my bed's all wet and, and, and I'm distressed. And I've been doing all this. But God, I, I need you. I need your deliverance. I need you to move in my life. With passion. The Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What's fervent mean? The lazy, passioned, the impassioned prayer. You ever been desperate for something? Utterly desperate. 
Like, so desperate that there was no end to nothing. You make a fool out of yourself for whatever this thing is. Your desperation is so high. That's what fervent means. Do you ever talk to God that way? I want you so bad. I've probably we've talked to God that way about, God, I want this girl so bad. Or uh, this guy so bad. Or this thing so bad. But have you ever told God you want him that bad? Moved with that kind of passion, the desire desperate to have him and all that he has for you? Because that was the key to the exit of David's depression. I need you. I need you, God. I need you. I need you more than I need anything else. I need you. I need you. So he says in verse 8, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know Jesus quoted that? He said, In that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. David saying, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. It's like he's casting off that sin. He's casting off that, that despair. And he's saying, God's heard me. God heard my cry. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. See the word of faith? The idea that God has heard me. God is going to move. God will receive. He will. He's not deaf to your cry. Not deaf to mine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness. He is long-suffering, desiring that no one perish. David's like, man, I, God's going to hear me. Get it, I, I just Leave sin. What is the big deal? Oh, I just love my sin so much that it's going to wallow in it. Get out of it. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. Leave it behind. Turn your back and run toward the Lord. For the Lord has heard you. He's heard your supplication. He will receive your prayer. So he says, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Wow, I'm doing like three at a time. It's going to take forever. Uh, as far as we'll go tonight. I really wanted to get to eight. But next time. But as we look... Remember the Psalms, the cry of David's heart for the treasure who is God. Struggling through his depression, not hiding it, not pretending he doesn't have it. Struggling through his sin, not hiding it, pretending he doesn't have it. Just, just dealing with it. Repenting of it. Turning of it. Being real before a holy God. That's a man after God's own heart. A man after. Chasing after God's heart. That's where God wants us to be, right? Chasing after His heart. And that's the Psalms are all about. Chasing after the heart of God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank You. Thank You for the time and opportunity that we have come before You to give You thanks and praise for the work that you are doing, how you are moving and working in our lives.